everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Junior Faculty Development Series in the Department of Pediatrics. My name is Jaspreet Loyal. I'm an Associate Professor and Pediatric Hospitalist in the Department of Pediatrics. My name is Frances Chang. I'm also a Pediatric Hospitalist and Instructor in the Department of Pediatrics. Our topic today is on educational scholarship, and our main objective for today's discussion is to help our listeners think about what educational scholarship means and how to select avenues for publishing scholarly work in medical education using examples described in the session. We are excited today to have with us Janet Hafler. Janet has many hats in leadership at Yale that includes being a professor in the Department of Pediatrics, the Associate Dean for Educational Scholarship, and Director of the Teaching and Learning Center. Welcome, Janet. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really thrilled to be here and think through some of the issues around educational scholarship. So let's start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, your path at Yale, and what you do in your current roles. So I've been at Yale now for 10 years, and I absolutely love what I do. When you say my path, I really feel as an associate dean of educational scholarship and director of the Teaching and Learning Center, the Teaching and Learning Center's mission is really to support our faculty and many of our residents and work with the medical students to really promote excellent teaching, educational scholarship, curricular development, and assessment strategies that all promote learning. That being said, a very important role is working with the faculty to move their educational activities into work that counts as scholarship in the appointment and promotion process. Great. So, Janet, you mentioned um, teaching and scholarship. Um, many of us in academic medicine think that if we are teaching, that seems scholarly, but that isn't entirely true. What is the difference between teaching and scholarship? It's a great question. Ernest Boyer, when he wrote the initial work about the domains of scholarship, he defined teaching as being scholarship. And for a number of years in the literature, it led us to some confusion that teaching itself is not scholarship. The teaching is an activity with many publications and a lot of work led by a number of colleagues such as Deb Simpson and Ree Fincher and Luann Wilkerson really moved to think, what is scholarship? So for example, if you have an activity such as teaching, that is an activity. If you add the layer of going into the literature and being very scholarly about what you're doing about your teaching, so for if I'm teaching at the bedside, what kind of strategies do I select that make my teaching for learning? or you might contact a colleague at another school. So the aspect of being scholarly is thinking about what evidence is there, but it, again, is not scholarship. It's being informed. Another example would be if you are leading a course. Do you delve into the business literature about leadership styles and really become scholarly about your approach as a leader? Then, if you wanted to move it into scholarship, you would take it one step further and 
disseminate your work. So if you did something, for example, Francis, you said you are a hospitalist. If you have a very innovative way about teaching that you've gone to a meeting in the country and no one else is teaching in the particular strategy that you're using, you disseminate it among your peers. You have it peer-reviewed. And it might be a platform that someone in another discipline, such as surgery, might say, wow, look what they're doing in pediatrics. I could use that framework and put my content. So the scholarship is the making your work public, having it peer-reviewed, and a platform that others could then build on. This is great. And I think just to reinforce those three pieces, the making it public, peer-reviewed, and dissemination, um, these are are key aspects that I think sometimes we don't appreciate um, as uh, academic faculty so we, we recently had a podcast with Tom Carpenter actually explaining the differences between the various academic tracks. And for faculty on the clinician educator track, educational scholarship seems to be an important consideration in the promotions process. So thank you for describing what educational scholarship really means. But can you talk a little bit about why it's so hard to show scholarly activity in medical education? Let me just rephrase that a little bit, not necessarily scholarly work, but the scholarship piece. And I think what gets confused is that we always think of scholarship as only publishing in a peer-reviewed journal article. And the new understanding of scholarship could be really demonstrating the impact of your work as it's being disseminated, peer-reviewed, and made public. So think of the phase of whatever you take of an educational activity. And let's break down an educational activity into teaching, curriculum, assessment, mentoring, and leadership. So if you take all your activities as a clinician educator, I'm sure you do all of them, all of the time. And then you say, well, let me select one, for example. And we have a number of examples in our pediatric department. But one, you might say, I really want to focus on developing a curriculum. For example, you might want to say, how do I teach others to give difficult news? Let me design a curriculum to teach residents. So that would be a scholarly project around curriculum. Then you say, well, it's scholarly. And you ask, why? What? What makes it difficult to make it into scholarship? You have to disseminate it. You have to let people at all the other medical schools know what you've done. So in very innovative terms, you would want to make it, submit it to a national meeting, have it peer-reviewed as a workshop. You might submit it as a poster presentation. So as a first step, you get it out of your own domain at our own pediatric site. Then the next step, and you say, well, what makes it challenging? It's learning what avenues are available. There are many avenues now. For example, MedEd Portal, which is out of the American Association of Medical Colleges, which is the AAMC, MedEd Portal has an avenue where you could submit your curriculum, have it peer-reviewed, and it's available for anyone to go and then use 
Actually, yeah, I was just going to comment. MedEd Portal is a, a great uh, resource that Anthony and I, um, with Deepa Kamenga, have used to to publish the work we've done with this, the junior faculty um, work group series that we developed a couple years ago. So I, I highly recommend that. But you also had another wonderful curriculum, I must say, Jaspreet, on communication skills curriculum among the trainees in the nursery which has been amazing, and you develop videos, and you went and you learned how to develop an instructional video. So that was a skill. You said, gee, how do I develop a curriculum? And then you said, well, what teaching strategies would I put into the curriculum? And you said, oh, I want to do something innovative because I don't want everything just to be so teacher-dependent. So you made some instructional videos. You had to learn how to do that. And then you said, okay, now let me put the curriculum together. And you began to then say, well, now how do I assess it? But it was mainly a curricular project. And to be fair, I did that under your um, guidance, Janet, as part of the um, Medical Education Fellowship, which I know you run. Can you actually tell us a little bit about that program? Yes. So the Medical Education Fellowship, we have now over 100 faculty at Yale who have been through the program over the past number of years. And it's a nine-month program where we work very closely. I give sessions every other week, and every faculty member has a project. So they really delve into their area of expertise that they want to develop. And initially, it's scholarly because we're doing it together. We're working very closely with our amazing librarians at Yale. So we have a librarian assigned to our group. Judy Spack works very closely with all the education faculty and really helps to say, is there anything else in the literature around this particular project. So that's being scholarly. And then at the end, we have a medical education day where all the participants in the fellowship do a poster to begin to disseminate their very innovative projects here. And last year, we had over 150 posters that were submitted. John and Candela in the Teaching and Learning Center has a whole process to peer review the workshops the posters, and now this year we're adding some other presentations. So the fellowship is for faculty, and the chairs nominate one to two faculty from their department, and it really is quite a prestigious event because it's the faculty member who is hopefully on a trajectory of being a clinician educator that the chair would like to nurture and help promote in this area. So that's been a very successful pathway. We accept 14 faculty each year into the program. Can you share a little bit about what an educator portfolio is and um, what advice you would have for junior faculty on maintaining their educator portfolio? Sure. So at Yale, we don't use the term educator portfolio. We use the term CV part one and CV Part 2. And we have a website that shows exactly what instructions to put. And it would be my dream for everyone to keep up their CV Part 1 and Part 2. And as we all, as faculty, keep every session that we do in education up to date by putting it into the CV Part 2. The portfolio, which is a term used at many medical schools, 
is really a compilation of our educational contributions. And there are a number of ones, for example, the Medical College of Wisconsin that Deb Simpson had. You can go online and look at the in-depth amount of educational activities and documentation and evaluation. Here, what we require is up-to-date educational contributions. And Brian Smith chaired a committee to re-look at the categories that would go into the part two. So it's very much like an educator portfolio, but what you're doing is really keeping track of all your clinical and, of course, your educational contributions. So your teaching, your leadership, your curriculum, assessment strategies, and if you have curricula and educational materials or videos, it you list them all in this document. The evaluation would be a separate document, and your teaching evaluations, which are required, would be a separate document. And I would encourage everybody to make sure that they are collecting their teaching evaluations because that is something that's very essential to really understand our own teaching. And again, if you have a few areas that maybe you're a little weak on and you want to become stronger, we have many sessions at the Teaching and Learning Center to help with that or individual consultations. Janet, you mentioned the, this information is available on a, a website at which specific site? The CV Part 1 and Part 2 is listed on the Yale Faculty Affairs website under Forms and Templates. Excellent. And yes, I will say I was given that advice a while ago is keeping your CV updated as you add to it um, and thinking about it as a living document. Um, so uh, switching gears a little bit, Janet, can you you mentioned a couple of these already, but could you talk a little bit more um, about some specific examples of educational scholarship in our department? Oh, I would love to. I feel so proud of so many of the faculty. So for example, I've mentioned a couple that you, Jaspreet, have done. We can look at Uma Patek. She had a wonderful paper on coaching. She was very involved in assessment and participated in a pilot program under Michael Green's mentorship and Michael Green's in the Teaching and Learning Center. And she did a, a first in the fellowship, did a project that was called Coach on the Run. And then she ended up publishing the paper and continues to work on the program. And now we have a new Masters of Health Science in medical education, and she'll be a faculty member getting a master's now in this area. So that would be one very successful example. We have Tanya Murta, who is uh, doing something on delivering difficult news curriculum. Kathleen Ang was a fellow last year, and she left, but she developed a fellows as medical educators and an entire program four fellows throughout all our divisions in pediatrics, and it was the design, implementation, and evaluation of a curriculum, and that's also been published. So those were a few, and I could keep going. There's so many really neat projects, but those were a few. So just as a follow-up, those are obviously uh, successful um, educational scholarship pr uh, projects, but what um, what are some pitfalls or some challenges um, that some perhaps junior faculty face in turning their education, uh, in their, turning their work into scholarship, and how could these be avoided? 
So I think the biggest issue that we all face, Jaspreet, is mentorship. And as a junior faculty, to really work with a mentor who really understands the educational design of your project, whether it's a curriculum, and really understand what resources you need to accomplish the activity. So first, it's moving that activity into scholarship. And if you have a mentor who can really help with that, then you can move it into scholarship to say, how do I evaluate it? How would I disseminate it? And again, you would need a guide to help you whether you're presenting at the Pediatric Academic Society, but if you're a hospitalist, you might want to be presenting at your national meeting. So networking and really moving from our regional area to a national as you move up, I think requires close mentorship. So a pitfall would be that I don't think we have enough people mentoring in this area. I think it's something we... So what we're hoping, I think, is to have a number of you going through the fellowship and the programs, and then you'll be mentoring others. So that would be one. And I think the second area that I think we all struggle with is the time element and and the crunch between clinical work and the educational work. And again, that's something that we all need to be thinking very carefully about and being very transparent about what's expected in our division and what's expected in our department. Thank you, Janet. That's some really helpful advice. Um, what would you say were some ideas for disseminating our educational scholarship? And you have named a few already. Let me throw it back to you. You're a hospitalist. Do you go to the national hospitalist meeting? Yeah. Because that's a fabulous way to start getting on a national committee and they start knowing your particular work. And what you can also do is then put a workshop together. I would say work on the regional meetings, the local regional, then move up to national meetings, and pick one that you get really known for. And perhaps you would have a mentor, and they might be in the clinical area, but they would introduce you to other senior people who then you start networking at the national meeting and you start, for example, say you're very interested in how is something taught in a well-newborn nursery. Well, how are they doing it at other schools? You could the next year call some of your colleagues and say, we all do this differently. Let's put a symposia together that would be peer-reviewed at, say, the Pediatric Academic Society meeting. It would be peer-reviewed, and you'd have this wonderful discussion at a national level about differences that you're doing together. So that would be one suggestion. Also a great for getting letters when it comes to the promotions process is um, as knowing people in those national organizations. So switching gears a little bit, um, and this question came from Anthony, who was not able to be here today. Um, so some faculty have professional and parent educational social media sites, including Twitter. Is, this, uh, is there a way that something like this could be considered scholarship? Um, if yes, how? And what are some other ways to use social media in educational scholarship? So I think that's a very challenging question because it's so new. And I think we wouldn't, because they're not peer-reviewed, um, you would have to then look at maybe impact factor. And if you were able, let's say you're writing a blog, 
could you track how many people are using your blog? For example, is there a way to see the impact of it? Is it being used? So I think you would look more toward how is it impacting a change in clinical practice or teaching? Or if you have something and you're suggesting tips on teaching and then you notice that 50 medical schools or 50 pediatric departments are now picking this up and using it. But again, this is all very new, and I think it would be wonderful if we could explore this together because I really don't have an answer about using all of the social media, but I think we're, as a society, really moving to that and people are using it. So if we could think of how we could incorporate it, I think impact would be one, but there might be a variety of ways that we maybe could have peer review of the content to make sure that what you're saying is accurate. If you write your own blog and no one reviews it, you could be saying something that's very inaccurate. So I think we could be creative, but I don't think we're there yet. So Janet, you mentioned uh, the importance of finding a good mentor. Um, I was wondering if you had um, other advice for a junior faculty who want a career in medical education. So a number of the faculty in our department have pursued the fellowship. They've pursued at the national level at many of the meetings, education sessions. So I would say looking to really enhance your skills by either pursuing courses. A number of our faculty also have pursued a master's degree. So depending on your career pathway, I think becoming trained and having some advanced educational opportunities becomes really an important piece of it. This is great. Janet, you've mentioned a lot of the resources that are available at the Teaching and Learning Center. Um, Are there other resources that are available for junior faculty who want to gain skills in medical education? At Yale or? Yale or elsewhere. So there are, of course, national meetings and many workshops are available, and I think that would be a, a wonderful way. We also have at the AAMC, it's a national meeting where it's all about education, and there's always a regional meeting, which is called the Northeast Group on Educational Affairs. You can submit educational materials to that, and it's a, it's a wonderful um, way to share what we're doing with all the Northeast medical schools. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, all of your words of wisdom. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close? I think the importance of thinking through a career. So as a junior faculty, really thinking, what is it that you need in your skill set to be successful around education? And really focusing on one of the five key activities within education whether it's your teaching or curriculum development, and pursue it as if you would a subspecialty. So you take it very seriously and really then say, if I really want to become a top assessor, what is the skill set that I need to develop? What do I need to read? So you begin to do your own development, and then you get known in that particular area and you pursue it, rather than saying, well, I'm going to do teaching and curriculum and assessment. Yes, a clinician educator does all that. But if you want to take an activity to make it into a scholarly work, it requires reflection, 
reading the literature, taking courses in that area, and becoming skilled, and then you, you can really move on to produce scholarship in that area. This is terrific. Thank you so much, Janet. I, I know that I've um, you're definitely a mentor to me and many others, so we really appreciate everything that you do for us. Um, thank you so much for your time, and thank you to our listeners. I, I hope you get a lot out of today's session. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been fabulous. <laughs>